Reformed Church. Obviously, we're talking about We the Temple. We're going to be talking about this for weeks even uh, to come. Um, really, the, the, there's just so much to talk about with this uh, because it's so, such a detailed diagram of the way the Lord wants us to conduct ourselves, and we've been going over all of that. Okay, so I want to review a few things we talked about last service, um, and probably the service before that as well, because mainly we've been talking about this room here. Um, this is the head of the temple. Unfortunately, I can't go over to reiterate why we know from the Bible that that's the head of the temple. I hope you guys also notice that, um, man, there is no um, shortage of people teaching symbols from the Bible. I've heard a lot of it before. Um, I'm going to tell you this, almost all of the symbols that I've heard people speak from the Bible are incorrect. And I don't say that to sound proud. I don't say that to sound like some boast on this ministry or anything like that. But there's very little, there's scant evidence for the things that people say are symbolic in the Bible. I've read commentaries before. I don't make a habit out of that today unless I'm looking for a cross-reference, to be honest with you. Um, I really don't. Um, I don't agree with probably most of what I read in commentaries anyway. But even when I've seen things in commentaries about, oh, this is symbolic of that, even looking up stuff with the temple, um, even if I were to use a commentary to, to look for like a cross-reference or um, where else this is located in the Bible and stuff, um, the things that I even see at a glance that are interpretations of the temple, are, there's, no, there's no scriptural evidence. Like So, for instance, there is scriptural evidence, right, that there are the lampstands in the temple. There is scriptural evidence that there was a veil. Um, but... When people interpret that, the interpretation isn't them quoting another verse that states what that's symbolic of. And I don't even mean a verse. I, I, I have, um, when I am reading things about symbols in the Bible, I ask the Lord to give me a lot of verses. I want this proven to me, like thoroughly from Scripture. Not to mention the fact that, you know, we have gone over each element, and I hope that you've seen, what I want you to take from this is not that I'm telling you something is symbolic and that it sort of kind of works together correctly. I want you to see that I'm giving you scripture for every single point. I'm trying to prove these things to you that this is what God intended when he put this element in the temple, whatever we may be talking about that particular service, okay? Just notice the biblical evidence I'm giving you. Um, and, and like I said before, I understand that that can sound, especially to people that might not agree with this church, maybe not to people here, but people that might not agree with this church, it might sound like a very proud thing, what I just said before about that I think that just about, I say all, um, most of what I have heard when it comes to symbolism, even some things by good preachers, I would say most of what I've heard when it comes to symbolism is, is wrong. And, well, it's not proud to say that, right? Because it's not wrong because I say so. It's wrong because I can bring you to a verse that tells me what that means. And that's not what you said it meant. Okay, that's what I'm referring to. I'm saying because the Bible is very specific on what certain things mean. And, and I'm also not saying either that even everything I have taught or am teaching you, even in the series, that there's no error in it. That's not what I'm trying to say either. Um, but generally speaking, I'm trying to stay away from, oh, this means this because... Uh, whatever, it sort of resembles this other verse in the Bible and sort of scant evidence like that. I'm trying to show you scriptural evidence, proving scripture by other scriptures, because if God really made something symbolic in here and he wrote about these things through many witnesses in the Bible, there should be some evidence there as to what it means, right? 
Um, it's true that God reveals things to us by his spirit, but never ever take someone's word for it when they, said, when they, when they say that God told me something. Don't take anyone's word for it. Um, even when people say, you know, you know, God led me to do this or God told me this, I never, I don't take that for much. I assess the situation. I assess the, what they're saying God told them to do as if they hadn't even told me that God told them to do it. I look at the situation, I look at what's going on, and I'll assess for myself whether God told you to do that or not. And you say, again, you might think that's proud as, as well, but we have the Holy Spirit. And we also have the, the uh, sort of proof of Scripture as well. And if God told you to do something, that should be, probably be in line with all the stuff he has said before. It shouldn't contradict, because obviously God is not contrad contradicting himself. It shouldn't contradict things that he said in other places of Scripture. And so... Um, the amazing thing really about the temple is not just the biblical um, sort of um, proof that there is for each individual element, but for those that have listened to this entire series, I hope that you're seeing what, what, what I see in this, is that not only is each thing being proven from Scripture, but then how they relate to one another is also further proof that the last element we talked about was right, because it matches how God tells us to conduct ourselves in Scripture, and they all play along perfectly together. So that's, that's actually why, and I'll kind of stop with this point, at least this little segment here, but this is why in the future I want to do sort of a summarized version of a lot of series that I've done, including the temple, because I'm doing this to exhaust the proof to you. I want to get, this is for people that want to listen. This is for people, this is not for people that want a little bit of encouragement and they want to go home and sort of just feel happy even though they didn't really understand what they heard. There is that person. This is not for that person, okay? Um, this is not even, I see this even less as an outreach to people that have never heard before, even though it certainly can serve that purpose. I see this mostly to do with training people that want to hear. If you're interested in actually seeing how God wants you to conduct yourself and what he expects of you and certainly what he does not expect from you, that's, that's my target audience with this type of format, with teaching in an exhaustive way like this, okay? So if that's you, I'm, you're my primary person that I'm speaking to, okay? There are a lot of people that will go to church because they want to go to their local church, you know, kind of hit up their local church on a Sunday and, uh, and, and get that, you know, dose of whatever they need for the week, and they will go off and not meditate on it much. That, that is not my target audience here, okay? It's really not anyone's target audience, really, to be honest. Um, but... I hope you see, if you, as you've listened to this series, the not just the thorough, as thorough as I can be, biblical evidence for each element, but the fact that it plays along with each other perfectly is also further proof to you that, generally speaking, this is correct. I'm confident enough to say that, generally speaking, this is correct, despite, you know, of course, mistakes that we can always make as, as, as we're learning. Um, okay, so with that said, this has been proven in different ways. Um, I haven't put the proof for this being the head of the temple all in one message has sort of been scattered through. But we've been learning that this is the head of the temple. These two cherubim here uh, that are located in this room, which is like the Holy of Holies, the Bible will call it sometimes. Um, as I've stated in the past, don't get mixed up um, with the whole, um, uh, you know, the Holy of Holies representing heaven that I've talked about in, in, in the past and all that. That's a separate, um, a separate symbolic voice, you could call it, okay? It's, it, it, there are... God can say one thing and say several things at, at, at a time. That's actually also proven in Scripture. We're talking about the temple here, not as it relates to um, you know, entering heaven through the veil that is Christ or anything like that. That has no relation to the symbolism at all. 
This is referring to us. This is actually our sort of anatomy, almost, and how God wants us to conduct ourselves. So this is representing the church here, okay? With that said, the two cherubim that you find in that room um, are representing the eyes of the temple, and this is why we went over two weeks ago, or at least two parts ago, that the, the law inside this ark is in between the eyes, which is exactly where in the Bible, all through Scripture, where it says to keep the gospel, to keep the new law of God in between our eyes. Or that means in the midst of our heart, right? They sort of represent the eyes of our understanding. They're made of olive tree or olive wood because the word olive in the Bible or, um, or oil means making clear. That also has scriptural substantiation on our glossary. Okay? Uh, Reformedchurch.com slash glossary. And um, with that said, this, this room is also... Um, which is, I think is awesome, it is called the conversing, the, the, the speaking, or like the, con, the place of conversation is what this place is actually called. Uh, in your Bible, it may say the oracle, or it may say something else, but if you actually look at what that word means, it means the conversing. And uh, in the tabernacle, this, this is the temple here, but there was a tent version sort of of this, which have a lot of parallels. In the tabernacle, specifically, um, these two angels, were, these two cherubim were not here. There was just these two cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. And um, as I've stated also in, in our last part, um, these two represent the eyes of the temple, but because they weren't there in the tabernacle, these two cherubim sort of took their place in the tabernacle, representing the eyes of the tabernacle. And specifically, God says in Exodus, um, I could even get you the verse, it's Exodus 25, um, he talks about how between... The cherubim is where he would speak to the people, between the cherubim. And uh, again, that is just sort of no surprise because we've been saying that the, the two, these two cherubim in the temple and these two cherubim in the tabernacle represent the eyes of the temple or tabernacle respectively, okay? And this, is, this room is called the conversation place, which last week we talked about how um, the way that God speaks to us is by his spirit in our inner man. That's how he gives us revelation. He doesn't do it by creation in our inner man. He doesn't do it by circumstances in our inner man. He does it by his spirit to our inner man. That sort of closed circuit there, if you want to call it that, um, it, it, it doesn't allow for any, uh, like, like um, it, it's not sort of um, easy to misunderstand that. By his spirit in the inner man, we were learning how God doesn't speak to us through circumstances. He speaks to us by his spirit into our mind. And no, no wonder this is called the conversation place, which is really awesome, okay? So that's what we were talking about over the past two weeks, um, just to give you a little bit of a, a review there. Also, not to mention the fact that by his spirit in our inner man, because our mind is called our inner man, it's just awesome that this is called the house and this is called the inner house. Really cool, right? The word house in the Bible means flesh, if you didn't know that. So when you say inner house, you're saying inner flesh symbolically. That just, that's also on our glossary, but that's just an awesome thing. This is literally the inner flesh, the inner man of the temple, okay? Another proof that that's the head of the temple. Uh, so, with all that said, there are two words I'm going to define for you, but um, for the sake of time, I'm not really going to go over all these verses. I'll just kind of, kind of mention them to you. But there are two words that are going to be important tonight for us to at least understand. You can find more at reformchurch.com slash glossary, though. So, uh, the word bread, you guys are very accustomed to this at this church, so... I'll just throw out, for those that don't know, um, just to bring you slightly up to speed, John 6.33, Jesus actually says that the bread that God uh, gave to the world, and I'll, I'll read it to you, the bread, it says, the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. The word bread means life in the Bible. There's more verse on our glossary, but the word bread means life. So 
That's why when Jesus is referring to himself as someone that gives life to the world, he's referring to himself as bread to the world. Um, this is even why I mentioned this just before, but this is why when Jesus uh, um, was about to break his body at the cross for us, to heal us, right, because by his wounds we are healed. It's not true that just like, oh, the specific stripes that he took with a specific whip was for our healing, okay? By his wounds, generally speaking, we are healed. It's not because of a, oh, that one time he was whipped, those particular stripes was for our healing. It's the fact that his body was broken, that it was for our healing. And to symbolize how we can he be healed, uh, which is, uh, I won't get into that, but I mean, healing is part of the life of God um, that we have on the inside of us. To represent that, he broke the bread at the Last Supper, right? And said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. So to symbolize his broken body, which is life to us, healing for our body, he symbolized his body as bread, because that's what his broken body gives to us. It, it's become bread for us. His brokenness has become bread for us. Um, man, even if you've heard even a thing people refer to as the, like the children's bread, um, Jesus even refers to uh, healing. He was about to go heal the Jews, and he refers to that as the children's bread, giving life to their bodies, as Romans 8.10 says. Giving life to their body, he refers to that as bread. There's a lot of scripture I could give you for that, but anyway, uh, Hosea 14.7 is another one that actually, it, it, bread, wheat, or corn, as the King James would say, um, all means the same thing. It means life. And you even see that in Hosea uh, Hosea 14.7, uh, it says that you would revive or you would live as the corn or as, as the wheat, as the grain. So a few verses thrown out at you about that. Um, and also just, just throw up Ephesians 5.13 behind me. Um, you can throw the New King James Version up though. Ephesians 5.13 for defining the word light. So we want to define the word bread, which you just did, and the word light. The word light in the Bible means something that makes manifest, okay? This is really the best, easiest verse to define the word light, because Paul actually, specifically, <laughs> this isn't sort of a context clue that I'm taking from this. Paul actually just spells it out and says, all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. He just explains the definition of the word right there. Um, like I said, you don't even need any context clues. Whatever makes manifest is light. And that's actually what light means in the Bible. Uh, that's also in our glossary. But the, the, and this is just so you know, across all of Scripture, if what I'm telling you is right, and this is correct because of Scripture, uh, you can use that anywhere in the Bible. Um, God uses certain words symbolically, and this is good for anywhere in the Bible. Um, another verse, just one more verse, uh, uh, John 3, 20 through 21 in the New King James Version as well. He basically uses the word light interchangeably with exposed, with the word exposed, with the word clearly seen. You can see it says, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. See, because light exposes. Whatever makes manifest is light. The word light can be used in a variety of different contexts, but it's always meaning exposed or manifest. Uh, verse 21 says, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. You see, light making clearly seen, light exposing. Okay, so to wrap all that up, that's important for us to understand. Why is that important? Because I'm giving you biblical evidence for the things we're talking about, right? That's why it's so important. It's important so that people know. It's also important that you guys hear this again so that you can tell other people if need be, um, if it ever comes up. Okay, so with all that said, so we have those verses locked in. Bread means life. Light means making manifest, making something seen, okay? Um, with that said, now that we got our words, now we can interpret what the Bible means when it says these things. And let's go to John 1.6. Let's go back to King James Version now. 
John 1, 6. So, when it comes to, like, at, at Reformed Church, we talk about receiving by faith, receiving by the renewal of our mind. We, we, we talk about that a lot because that's the truth, right? Um, it's really lacking in the church. I think the church thinks that if it's God's will, it's going to happen. And that, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Most of God's will doesn't happen, right? Um, so, and, that, and that's why we pray that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So most of God's will does not happen. We need to understand Jesus because there's no just way for us to receive from God except we put faith in Jesus, right? So that's why faith is necessary because God is not unjust. He will never do things in an unjust manner ever. And therefore, it is necessary that people believe on a mediator to receive from a holy God. People that don't deserve it of their works need, to, need a mediator to receive from God. That is the necessity of Jesus Christ, right? If God's will came to pass automatically, Jesus would not be necessary to bring that will to pass in our life, right? I mean, that's just the truth, right? So with all that said, faith is important. Faith just means knowing Jesus. That's all that that means. Uh, faith is necessary to receive from God. Um, but sometimes we might get a wrong impression. We might hear that Jesus did everything, and all I need to do on my end is believe it, which is more or less true, right, um, if you're perceiving it right. But here's the important thing. Jesus did everything that he did. Jesus is, has provided an inheritance to us that we can receive by understanding it. But Jesus is also the source of that understanding as well. And that's a really important point. Jesus is the source, or he is the light, to make his finished work manifest in your mind. He's both. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. If you've heard our Chase Me series, you know exactly what that means. Way, he's talking about actually being the righteousness. Uh, truth and life, that life obviously is the inheritance we're receiving. Uh, but he's also the truth. So put, putting the word way aside, because that's for another message, just look at truth and life. He's the life that we're receiving to our bodies, as Romans 8.10 says. By his spirit, we can receive life to our bodies. We can receive invigoration to our bodies. That's healing, that's youth, that's immortality, that's not dying, that's resurrection, that's everything good, right? The power of God manifesting through our bodies. So Jesus is the life that we're receiving. He is that source of life. But he's also the truth to show you the life that he provided. He's also the shepherd of your soul to teach you about the things he provided. So he's not left you hanging there where, you know, it's like, I provided everything and you better understand it. Because we can't understand these things for ourselves by ourselves. Uh, we need Jesus to expose these things to us and to teach us about what he did in our minds. He's not just the life, he's also the truth. Everyone that has ever believed has only believed because Jesus caused them to believe. You can't believe in Jesus without him causing you to believe because a natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. That means you are incapable. Everybody in this room right now, by our fleshly mind, by our brain, is incapable of understanding God and understanding Jesus. Incapable. But Jesus, that's why Jesus is our shepherd, and he actually teaches us. That's why we are all able here to understand the things that we're talking about right now. That's why I'm able to teach what I'm teaching right now, is because Jesus exposes these things to our mind. He's able to teach you. Now, before we read this, okay, this does not relinquish you of, well, two different things. One, uh, that does not mean that we are not in control of what we believe, okay? That does not mean that. You are in control of what you believe. You alone, not God, not anybody else. You are in control of what you believe. You know why? Because in order for the sheep to actually understand, the sheep need to hear his voice and not hear the voice of the stranger. You see, you don't instill your own beliefs, you could say. You just get to choose who you pay attention to. That's all you get to choose. But who you pay attention to is who you're going to believe like. 
This is why our friends are so important, right, who we hang out with. This is why our relationships are so important. This is why the church you go to is so important. Because you get to choose who you pay attention to. What you expose yourself to, um, most commonly, is what you're going to believe like. That's why, you know, when you pick your friends, especially the ones that, you know, the people you're hanging out with regularly, make sure that you're okay with believing what they believe. Because you're going to start believing in small ways, even at first, you're going to start believing what they believe. As long as you're okay with that, then keep hanging out with them. But you need to make sure that you're around people that are going to encourage what the Lord's telling you and not sort of contradict it, okay? There, there are strangers out there. That means people that don't speak according to Christ. And then there are those that speak according to Christ. You want to listen to the, the latter, right? The sheep gets to choose who they pay attention to. Now, if you listen and expose yourself to the stranger, you're going to believe wrong. They are going to instill that wrong thinking. Not to mention the deception of your own heart is good at that as well, apart from the Lord's leading. But the sheep can also hear the voice of the shepherd, and he's going to instill his beliefs in you. So that doesn't relinquish you of the responsibility of what you believe. At the end of the age, whatever everybody believes, including the people in this room right now, whatever you believe when Jesus comes back will be of your own choosing. No one, God cannot make you believe. Now you say, well, what happened? I thought you just said he's the one that calls us to believe. Yes, if you attend to him. Just like the stranger will be happy to instill their beliefs if you attend to them, the Lord will be happy to instill his belief if you attend to him. But you cannot spend your time listening to the stranger and then blame God for your lack of faith. It, that is not, we choose. This is the awesome thing about this. You are never in a hole that you can't get out of, ever. You control the destiny of your own life. Not because you have any power to know the truth or power to transform your life. You have no power to do either of those two things. But you solely have the choice between life and death. You know why? Because you are the sheep that chooses who they hear. That you, listen, if you, if you listen to the stranger, you will believe wrong and you will therefore die because of that. That will be the end thereof. And you will be stolen from, killed, and destroyed. And that may sound brutal, but that's, I'm telling you, I'm shooting straight, right? We are not here to give you a positivity message. We're here to shoot straight. Just so happens, Jesus is just so good, it ends up being good news, okay? But that's what happens when you don't choose Jesus and choose to listen to everybody else. If you choose to devote your mind to attend to Jesus, um, like I said before, it doesn't relinquish you of the responsibility of who you choose to listen to. It also doesn't relinquish you of the responsibility of you need to spend time doing this right? That time is necessary. But if you spend your time listening to Jesus, if you meditate on his word day and night, and I'm not saying we do that perfectly, I'm just saying if that's your goal, and that's what you're doing here, um, which I believe that that is all of our goal to some extent, because otherwise you wouldn't be sitting here tonight, okay? So, but you need to press in further to that, in that direction. But if you listen to the shepherd, he's able to make you believe, but only if you choose to continually listen to him and continue in his word, okay? Um, but the reason why I say that there's no hole that you can't get out of, there's no rut that you can't get out of, anybody, saved or unsaved, uh, because, you, because you're the one that chooses who you listen to, and who you listen to determines your life. To be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You can choose whether you live or die. Literally, you can choose that. And a lot of people may not agree with that. You can choose that. You know how? Well, where does life and peace come from? Spiritual mindedness. Where does, where does death come from? Carnal mindedness. That's the autopsy every single time. If some, someone physically dies, physically dies, it happened because of carnal mindedness. Now, I'm not saying, you know, there's a whole lot we can go, I'm not saying it's always because they rejected the truth. There are some people that were growing in the truth, and because of their lack of understanding, they were doing the right thing and growing in the truth, and that happened, okay? But it was still because of carnal mindedness and not the will of God. But so, to sort of wrap this piece up, because life and peace comes from spiritual mindedness, and death comes from carnal mindedness, 
And because we can choose who we listen to to determine whether we're spiritually minded or carnally minded, you see the repercussions. It's a domino effect when you choose to listen to Jesus. You choose to listen to him, he instills you with faith. When he instills you with faith, that produces transformation in your life. And it, God can do that in every, anybody's life. Anybody's life. You just need to choose to attend to him. Based on your attention to him, that's what's going to produce your beliefs. And your beliefs are going to produce that transformation in your life. That's how it works, okay? So, with that said, John 6, 9 says very clearly, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Talking about Jesus. To bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. You guys have been looking at that verse behind me for, for a few minutes now, probably 10 minutes, so you guys already understand where I'm coming from with this, but that all men through him might believe, because light means what? Whatever makes manifest. So it's talking about Jesus as the light. It's saying Jesus as in the role of someone that's making something clear to you. In, in this context, someone who is um, our teacher, right? And it says that all men through him might believe. Not that all men might believe on him. That all men through him might believe. That means your belief comes from him, which is no surprise why he's being called the light here because he's one that makes manifest to us. Now, that doesn't discount anything I said before about the need for our attention on Jesus, right? Uh, every person is responsible for their own beliefs because we're responsible for who we attend to, but Jesus is the light. And for a believer that is willing to hear Jesus, he is able to instill you with the faith needed to receive from him. He is able to instill you with the mind renewed. He, he, not you, he is able to instill your brain with the, with the information that it needs to receive from his finished work. He is able to fill you in on things that he did, things that you have never seen before, things that you have never heard from another human being before. He's able to instill in your mind. And the, the, the awesome thing is he knows what you need to know first, and he knows what you can do without for right now because you need to learn A, B before you can learn C. He knows all that. He knows how to prioritize what he's teaching you as well. Then you can leave that up to him. But to give your attention to him wholly, that's what the Bible talks about, being of a perfect heart toward him, serving him with your whole heart. Why is that? Why is it that kings, even all through, you know, 2 Kings and Chronicles, and why is it that you see that the kings that God prospered were, were of a perfect heart, or those that served him with their heart, and the ones that, you know, God was not able to prosper were the ones that, that turned away from him in their heart? Because God wants, your heart is just talking about your mind, your thinking. God wants to be prevalent in your thinking, and if you'll attend to him, he's able to make himself clear to your mind. He's able to do that. He's able to, there's never been a person that's ever lived that has sought God with their whole heart and not found the truth, and therefore not found life because of it, okay? Um, so, so many awesome results come from that, but it starts with understanding the truth of what Jesus did for you, and God is able to cause you to believe if you'll attend to him. That's why Jesus called the light so that through Jesus we might believe. He is not just the life you're entering. He is not just the way to get there. He is the truth to expose these things to you. Okay? He is your truth. God is able to tell you what you need to know to receive from his finished work. He's able to do that. Acts 13, or excuse me, Acts 3.16 says the same thing. There was actually in Acts 3 here, this is right after a man was healed, because we're healed through the renewal of our mind, right? Whether that be... Uh, you get healed off someone else's renewal of their mind through their prayer for you or something, or you renew your mind yourself, which is the best way. But Acts 3.16 says, And his name, 
through faith in his name, has made this man strong. So he's talking about this lame man that's now able to walk, right? Because that's a normal thing for us, right? That's just a Tuesday for a believer, right? Yeah, okay, of course, now you can walk. Because we don't have problems anymore as believers. We just, we don't really have problems. What we have is we have the need for the manifestation of the solution. Okay, that's all we have. We don't have problems as believers. We just have the need to manifest our solution. We have the solution already. Our problems are solved. We're just throwing it out from on the inside of us, okay? And that was manifest here. A solution to a problem, being lameness, was manifested here, and it said it came through faith in Jesus. Not because of God's sovereign will, despite the fact that he's sovereign. That's not how people receive. It was through faith in Jesus' name. But what kind of faith? The faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. The faith which is by him. You see that? It's not just faith in him. It's faith that's also by him. Your faith comes from Jesus um, as you listen to him, and as you devote your mind to his word. Everybody has time to listen to Jesus. Everybody has even time to spend private time with the Lord. Everybody has time like that. Everybody can attend to Jesus. No one is unable to do that. Every single person. And as you do that, the Lord is able to instill you with that faith. Listen to his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is not conjured by you. Faith is not something you're just going to wake up one morning and feel that, you know, oh, God gave me a dream, and then all of a sudden I understand everything. No, it's going to take you time to listen to Jesus. But he will instill you with that truth that's necessary. Second John 1, 2, specifically for a believer, it says, for the truth's sake which dwells in us and shall be with us forever. The truth that we're receiving is something that's on the inside of us. Um, it dwells in us and shall be with us forever. When you're not a believer, you're receiving the truth from on the outside of you, and that's necessary, right? You don't have the truth on the inside of you at first. You need a preacher. How will they hear without a preacher, the Bible says. But as a believer, you have the truth right on the inside of you, and God is able to enlighten the eyes of your understanding and put that law between your eyes. He's able to get that law in there. He's able to do that. This is the conversation place. He's able to speak to you in your mind. That's not a weird thing. That's a normal thing. It's weird if you were to tell me that, as a believer, that you can't hear from God. That's weird. You know why it's weird? Because that's not true. Every believer can hear from God. Every believer can hear. I don't care if you feel that you have heard from God personally before. Every believer can hear from God because it's part of your inheritance. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he's able to put that law, his gospel, between your, between your eyes. That law is only between the eyes of the temple because God put it there. But it was because the temple gave its attendance to the Lord. And by attendance, of course, I'm talking about your attention, right? So, so with that said, uh, let's go to two more verses, and then I'm going to start bringing in the temple elements here. So Ephesians 1.15 is actually, uh, this is the passage that I was just quoting from, about the eyes, eyes of your understanding being enlightened. It says, um, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, you know, let's just jump to 17 just for the sake of time. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Uh, the spirit on the inside of you is called the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the knowledge of him, in the knowledge of Jesus, to give you the knowledge of Jesus. Verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding, so the result of the wisdom and revelation of the spirit on the inside of you, as that's given to your mind. The result is that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Hope of his calling means what you have to expect in your life. The expectation that he's called you to. Hope means expectation. Okay, unfortunately, it's translated hope um, in the Bible, but it's just the word expectation. So God wants to enlighten the eyes of your understanding. You see that that's also further, that's, that's, that's the, the, the proof there that our understanding are called eyes. All right? 
And then he says, being enlightened. He wants to enlighten your mind so that you can know basically what you have to expect in your life and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And you can actually go to the next verse as well in verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward or toward us who believe. So he names three things here. He names, he, he basically, we're going to hone in on one, but he says basically what you have to expect for your life, the inheritance that's on the inside of you, and also the power that is toward you, the power basically that's available to you, okay? But let's hone in on one thing. He says the inher- to show you the inheritance that's in the saints. God is able to speak to you. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is able to speak to you, to instill you. What does he want to do? He wants to show you the things that are already on the inside of you. That is the purpose of the light that Jesus to us. We just said before, right, in John 1, that Jesus is the light, that all men through him might believe. Well, what is this light exposing to us? What is this light showing us in our heart? For one, what it's showing us here is that he's showing you the inheritance that's in you, therefore is also toward you, meaning at your disposal to use, and also, therefore, the, the manifestation you can expect from that inheritance. All right? But again, we're honing in on the inheritance here. The inheritance in the saint is what God is trying to expose to your eyes. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Last verse here, and then uh, we're going to talk about the temple now. We're going to bring, bring the, the temple in. I'm just trying to show you plainly how this works, okay? And then we'll show you that the temple represents the same thing. So 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, uh, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts. Another great verse about by his spirit in the inner man, right? God shows his light where? Into our hearts. Word, heart, mind, soul all basically mean the same thing when used in this context. So he's commanded light to shine out of darkness, a, 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 a making clear of his truth to shine out of darkness and to shine in our heart. What's he trying to give the light of? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God that you can see in the face of Jesus Christ. But he goes on in verse 7 to say, but we have this treasure. We have this treasure, okay? Let me just do a little explaining here. What's he talking about? But we have this treasure. What, what treasure is it saying we have? We'll just go to what he said in the previous verse. We have this treasure. Well, what did he end with in this verse? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he's saying we have the glory of God that you can see in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the treasure you have. That's what he's saying, right? So he's saying, if we put these two verses together, we have a treasure, right? This is why this is lined with gold on the inside. We have a treasure inside of our earthen vessels. We have this treasure, it says right there in the next verse. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, right? That's what you see here with the gold lining. Previous verse again. But he says, but God, you have the treasure in the earthen vessel, right? You've got the gold lining, right? People talk about silver lining. You've got the gold lining. Even better. He says here, but God is shining into our hearts to give the knowledge of that treasure, the glory of God that we possess in our earthen vessel. You see? So, so he's both, right? He's the treasure in the earthen vessel, but he's also shining his light into your heart. He's shining his light into your heart to show you, to expose to you the treasure that you already have. This is why I've said before that as believers, right, that the renewal of the mind for a believer is you just getting to know how good you already have it, because that's the truth of it. Because all the treasure God would ever give you is already in the earthen vessel. You possess it all. It's already who you are in Christ. It's in, in, in reality, God just wants to show you how good you already have it in him. He wants to show you that you're already free from those things. He wants to show you that you've already become competent through him. He wants to show you that you're already complete and you're perfect and you're full in, in every capacity, whether it pertains to things regarding life, which is like healing and resurrection and, and all that on that side, 
And you're also perfect and complete regarding things pertaining to godliness, which is all things moral and, 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 and righteous and, and pure, all that, right? Purity for your mind, purity for your thoughts, purity for your actions, you know, godliness. And they're both important. They're just, you know, two sides of the same coin, life and godliness, and you're perfect and complete. It's all in your earthen vessel. There are no problems here. We just need the manifestation of the solution we already have, right? We don't have any problems. We just need a manifestation of the solution we already have in our earthen vessel. Nothing, not a single thing that you go through is accepted from what I just said. Every single problem you go through, you have the solution in your earthen vessel because there's no solution that the glory of God does not cover. God just wants to shine his light into your heart so that you can see it. This is why we're here tonight. This is why you, you come to this church in general. Not because you want to hear us, but because you want to sort of congregate in a place where you can hear about what Jesus already put in your earthen vessel. What did Jesus already do for me? I want my eyes to be enlightened. See that light thing there again? This verse says he wants to shine his light into your heart to show you the treasure you've got in the earthen vessel. Uh, and Ephesians 1 said he wants to enlighten your eyes to the inheritance that's in the saints. You see, they're saying the same thing. God wants to show you what you already have on the inside of you because when you do that, it gets manifested. All right. So with all that said, uh, let, let, let's get into the temple as well. Um, let's see. So let's go to uh, 2 Chronicles 4.20. 2 Chronicles 4.20. Um, you can go to the Young's literal translation for this. Um, while we're waiting for the, for the verse to get up here. Um, this is also why the Lord is said in John chapter 1, if you're interested in reading it, Jesus also called uh, being full of grace and truth. If you read the Old Testament, it'll say, talk about the Lord's mercy and truth, but it's the same thing. Because Jesus didn't just bring us grace, meaning the blessing of God. He brought us the truth to understand it. It's both. He's that blessing, and he's also the truth. He's, one, he's, he's the inheritance, and he's the one that's going to lead you into it. Okay? He's, he's, he's the, the grace, and he's the truth to lead you into it. Okay? You are not alone when it comes to your learning or your renewal of your mind. You just, I, I, I want to stress this. I know that many of us spend time with the Lord, and I, I just want to, to let you know how imperative it is that you just give your attention to him. Because a lot of times, we don't give our attention to the Lord as much because we feel like, I'm really not going to hear anything anyway. Okay? Okay? If you let that discourage you from spending more time or the time you think you ought with the Lord, because I don't think I'm going to hear anything anyway, because last time I spent time with the Lord, I didn't hear anything, you'll never hear anything further from God. I'm telling you, but it's, it's such, a, such a lie. That, that right there of, I can't hear anything because I didn't hear anything last time, is such a, a, a terrible lie. I mean, I could give you some, some more scripture for, you know, the fact that we have the anointing on the inside of us in 1 John, and he teaches us all things, and we have the Spirit to lead us into all truth and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you need to continue in his word. Jesus said this in John 8. I'll, I'll leave you with this for this piece here. But he said, if you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You need to continue in the word of God before you know the truth. You know what that means, continuance? It means it takes time. And if you allow your experience, not the word of God that says, if you seek me, you're going to find me, but if you allow your experience of how it went last time you, you read your Bible, how it went last time you spent time in prayer. Um, if I was going to go by that, just for, for the sake of example, if I was going to go by, the, oh, the way it went last time, and I didn't hear anything last time, and therefore I'm not going to spend the time that I know I really should or want to, with the Lord to learn his truth because I don't really feel sort of a lost cause in my mind. I feel like it's just going to be the same thing. If I went by that, I wouldn't be teaching right now. I would have dropped the ball a long time ago because, of course, you're going to have times, especially at the beginning, my gosh, especially at the beginning, where you're not hearing squat. You're not hearing anything. 
And, 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 and you know what you do? You continue past that. Jesus said things that the people, the 5,000, when they came to him, didn't understand. Okay? There was the 5,000 and his disciples were there. He said things that people didn't understand. None of them d- discerned his voice and knew what he was talking about. And sometimes you may feel like, you know, okay, I don't know what the Lord's speaking to me. Okay? But guess what? 5,000 all left him in John chapter 6 because they didn't understand, and they used that as an opportunity to say, no, I don't know what he's saying. I'm leaving. The 12, and specifically the 11, still didn't understand what Jesus said. But guess what? They continued his word. You know what happened to the 11 disciples? They knew the truth, and the truth made them free. You you cannot go off your experience. You You need to have more basis than just what happened last time I read my Bible. You need to have more confidence in what God said than to be weighing than to be comparing his word with your experience. If he said, everyone who seeks me finds, then you, then you fine, then that's good enough for me. You know, who else am I going to listen to anyway? Am I, uh, so, okay, so I didn't hear you last time. So what am I going to do? Not listen to the one that has the words of life and go off in the world and die like a man? It, like, wh- those are my options, right? You don't have any middle ground there. You can live like a man and die like a man. You can do that, or you can seek him fervently and get the words that bring life. You don't have any other option right? It's shepherd or stranger. That's it. So just like Peter said, uh, Lord, what, we're not going to leave you. I, I don't understand what you're saying right now. It's a hard saying, but I'm not going to go and just listen to somebody else. Who else am I going to listen to? You don't have another option. So you know, you, you know what your option is? Keep seeking, because if you continue in his word, you're going to get to a point where you know the truth. You're going to get to a point where you know the truth. Do not allow the experience that you've had previously to tell you whether you're going to find or not. It's not true. Have at least that much maturity where you say, you know what, to be, to be blunt, screw that. I, I'm, I'm going to continue in the word of God. I don't care if I don't hear for another year. I don't care if I don't hear until Jesus, the day before he comes back. And certainly that's not going to happen. I, I assure you of that. But where else am I going to go? If I spent the rest of my life and the day before Jesus comes back, I, I finally heard a word from God. That one word would have been worth all of your time. Okay? One word from God is worth Everything, far more than anything you're going to hear in the world, which just kills people. <laughs> so, so trust me, you're going to find, and it's not going to take until Jesus comes back either. Second Chronicles 4.20, Jesus is the grace and the truth, though, right? He's the inheritance and the truth to show you. Um, check this out. He says here, and the candlesticks and their lamps for their burning according to the ordinance before the oracle of gold refined. This, this verse is jam-packed here. Let me, let, me, let me show you here. So, in the temple, this is what he's talking about here. So, in the belly of the temple, you have uh, ten tables of showbread. We'll get into that in a second. And you've got ten lamps corresponding to each of the ten tables. All right? Um, there are some things I may or may not have time to get into about people's dispute about whether there was actually ten tables of showbread or just ten tables and only one table of showbread. But I'll, I assure you, there was ten tables of showbread. I'll, I'll show you that verse in a second. Okay? So, Ten tables corresponding to ten candlesticks here. Um, we also know that this room here is the, um, the head of the temple, right? So you've got the head of the temple, and then you've got the candlesticks in here, if we do like an aerial view. You've got the two, we know these are the eyes of the temple. There's the law between the eyes, right? And so uh, there's the veil here, which we know just means that she's still learning. Uh, but the law is definitely present. The gospel is definitely present in her mind. The two cherubim are looking inward. They're facing that law right? Because that's where her attention is, is on the gospel, not on anything else. But this is the head of the temple. Really interesting, though. How'd the law get there? Now, this is kind of a, a twofold 
Um, not that anyone is going to even understand what I'm saying right now, but in the future, you, you'll understand this as we go through this. That sort of, that has, sort of has, has two answers to it as to where this law came from. Truthfully, as I said before, when you're a Christian, the first way you get the gospel in your mind is because someone else had to preach to you, right? So that's how it comes in first. But as you continue as a believer, God speaks to you from right on the inside of you. And look at what we've got here, okay? We know what light means, right? Something that's making manifest. You've got two eyes with, with the law between her eyes. And again, how is that law being put there? Well, you've got light in the belly here. Light. So you, you already look at that and you're like, okay, I, I have like a, a vibe, like a feeling of what that would represent, right? So considering the fact the Lord is called that light that makes us believe, right? Which we just read from John 1. But here's the, here's the clincher here. This is, this is where it gets really interesting. These candlesticks are in this belly area called the house, right? Uh, but it's specifically, <laughs> when it's talking about the location of these candlesticks, look at this verse. It says, for their burning, according to the ordinance, before the oracle, all right? So the oracle, that's the conversation place, right? That, that's this room. It, this verse could have said that the lamps were burning uh, behind the porch, because this is the porch, right? It could have said, probably most understandably, that these lamps burned um, inside the, the house, or the greater house, which is what this room is called but it doesn't say that either. It says that they burn before, or that word before means like in the face of, before the oracle. Isn't that an interesting room to pick? Like why would God pick this room to associate the candlesticks with this room? It didn't associate it with this room. They weren't shining in the greater house. They weren't shining behind the porch. They're shining before the head of the temple. Isn't that an interesting room to correspond these candlesticks to? The truth of the matter is, which we're going to get into a little bit more right now with the time we have left, the reason why he corresponds it to this room is because this light represents the light, the truth that's on the inside of us that gives light to our inner man. Remember before we just read that God's light shines into our hearts. This says this light is shining before the brain of the temple. It's shining for the brain of the temple is really what, what we're talking about here. Also, we read that... Um, what God is trying to do for us as believers is he's trying to enlighten our eyes, the eyes of our understanding, but enlighten, to give light to our eyes. Okay, where are the eyes of the temple? Here, made of olive tree, which means they're being made clear, right? Law between the eyes. So you've got the eyes of her understanding in her head here, and then you've got light here, and God chooses in his wording to correspond the light with the place where the eyes are before the conversation place. Because God sees when he's building this thing through Solomon, he sees this light is to represent that I want to manifest things, this treasure, which we're going to talk about in a second, I want to manifest things to the eyes of my temple. So they're burning before my conversation place. They're burning in front of and in the face of the eyes of the temple, enlightening the eyes of the temple. Um, this is a picture that, I took the veil off just so that you could see sort of like the correlation between these uh, uh, lamps shining and the eyes of the temple. But that's like a perfect picture. Like just God built this. And I'm not saying the cherubim looked exactly like that or anything like that. But generally speaking, as we've been saying, this is, this is correct, right, to the way the Bible describes it. And again, I took the veil off so that you could see kind of like the, the, the sort of a direction of the light, at least that God is saying they were burning before the oracle. I want you to see sort of the correlation between the two. But... 
God put light in your belly so that your eyes could be enlightened. God put light in, let me put it this way. God put candlesticks in your belly so that your eyes could be olive, so that your eyes could be clear, so that the, his gospel could be placed between your eyes, so the eyes of your understanding could be enlightened. And that veil is only there to represent the things that we don't know yet. But obviously that's why the lamps are here, is to pull back that veil and reveal more and more to you the things that you don't see about the treasure you already have in this earthen vessel. And as it happens, of course, more is going to be manifest as God reveals more and more to you, right? Uh, more and more is going to be manifest out of you, but this is the, the purpose of God, is to shine his light, shine into our heart, to give the light uh, 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 of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that, that treasure we have, and to put that law between our eyes, okay? So, so let's, let's keep going here, though. So, so the information we have here, and I'm, I'm, I'm not closing up soon, but I'm kind of like, I'm on the downward here. So, so with that said, the candlesticks, God relates them to this room, to, to, to the mind of the temple, okay? Now, here's what's interesting, though. This is just a, another layer of, uh, to establish this point. There is something that you guys have probably heard before. Um, in this room here is showbread, right? You've probably heard that term before. Each lamp, each candlestick has a corresponding table which has showbread on it. Um, again, some people sort of um, debate that there was only one table of showbread in the temple. But because there are certain places where, for instance, you can just throw it up there behind me, um, like First uh, uh, Kings seven forty-eight. I'm not going to dwell on this verse, but he'll throw it up there behind me. Uh, it mentions the the table, like singular, where the showbread was. Okay, but there are other places in the Bible um, that specifically mention tables, plural, where the showbread was. There was for sure. Ten tables. The Bible, nobody really disputes that. There were ten tables. But because there is that verse there where it says table of showbread, um, they take that to me, well, maybe there was only one table. Um, but there are very, very clear scriptures here, and I'll show you. Um, I won't read this one to you. Second Chronicles 4.8 states that there were ten tables. But let's go to Second Chronicles 4.19. This is particularly, this is one of the verses that says tables of showbread, just to prove to you that there were multiple tables, in, in fact, 10, where on the showbread was, okay? We're getting closer to closing up. And it says, so, and Solomon made all the vessels that were for the house of God, the golden altar also, and the tables, plural, where on the showbread was set, okay? So that's where I'm getting this 10 table with showbread on, on the top of it, okay? Uh, for your own uh, uh, information, First Chronicles 28, 16 says also tables, plural. You don't have to put that up there, though. Okay, so I'm, I'm getting close to wrapping up here. So, so here's the deal now. You've got the 10 candlesticks and 10 tables whereon there is showbread set. Here's the interesting thing. Um, the word showbread, if you actually look, like actually, if you have like a Strong's Bible or something like that and you want to like click a word in a Bible app, you'll see that showbread is the word bread and the word face, actually. Um, the word is uh, uh, panim, I believe, is, 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 the, is the term for the word face. Um, in the Bible, Brother Andre, if you can just throw up real quick uh, Genesis 6.11. In, in the Bible, like in Hebrew specifically, and I don't know this because I know Hebrew, I'm just looking at other scriptures to, to tell you this um, and how they were translated, but the word face in Hebrew is a word that is used for sort of like something being in your sight. All right, so 
uh, it's most commonly translated before. Like if something is before me, it, like I'm, I'm facing it, right? It's, it, but it, it's the word face. So uh, in Genesis 6.11, it says, for instance, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So when it says the earth was corrupt before God, what's that talking about? It's saying God, got, like, it's before him, right? Like he's looking at it. Right? It's something he's facing. It's something he's looking at, right? That word before is the word face. It's the word panim. So the reason why I'm showing you this is because showbread actually really means, the reason, like why would they translate the word face as show? The reason why they do that is because it's sort of saying like bread to face, bread to be shown, right? Like bread before you is kind of like what, 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 what is being communicated by the Hebrew word for face, okay? The reason why that is so important is because, look at what we're saying here, okay? Think back to the definition of bread, right, which means life, okay, which I went over at the beginning of this message. This is what this means. What you have here is you have, you have these lamps, which are, which are correlated with the mind of the temple, right? To, we, know, we know why, right? To give light to the mind, right? That's, that's sort of the, 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 uh, what it's symbolizing here. But, but, but despite that, you've got lamps that correspond to this, this bread set out on this table. The bread is called bread to face. In other words, bread to look at. Okay? You understand where I'm coming from here? Bread in your belly to look at, to see. And to further that symbolism there, he puts a lamp, light, which means to make it manifest, to correspond to all of this bread. Okay? Song of Solomon, we already said, right, your belly is a heap of wheat, right? Remember this, like, heap, I'm um, pregnant with bread, that whole thing, right? I think that was called the pregnant temple when I taught on that. Okay? The, the, the temple already looks like a pregnant woman, which Song of Solomon says is a heap of wheat. Why? Because there's showbread in here. That means you're pregnant with bread. That means you have that solution, that light already on the inside of you for whatever it is that you're going through or anything anyone else would ever go through. You've got that solution already. It's stored up. It's ready to go. It's ready to be manifest. And what is God, what is the only thing he's trying to do now? He's trying to show you the bread. It's bread to be seen. It's, it, 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 and, and how is it being made manifest? Well, that's why there is... That's why there is a candlestick to correspond to every single piece of bread here. Because it's literally the light, the truth that's in us and will be with us forever that's stored in our belly that is shining for which room? For which room? Which room did it correlate the, the, the candlesticks with? To this room, to the, to the mind of the temple, which we has established is the mind. So he's given us light in our belly to, with bread to face, bread so you can see it. It's bread he's offering you to see. It, it, you already have it. He's trying to enlighten your eyes, the eyes of your understanding, to see the inheritance that's in the saints already. It's inheritance to see. It's inheritance to face. He wants you to face and look at the inheritance that you've been given, and you have the light to be able to do it. And as you do that, that's why there's gold running out the front doors, because she's looking at the bread. She's seeing the bread. Again, so it's not really show bread. It's bread to face. As you face the bread... And as you see the life that God's put on the inside of you first, before it's manifest, not when it's manifest, before it's manifest, you're not looking at the bread that is manifesting. You're looking at the bread that's in your belly. See, when you're looking at what's manifesting, you're, never, you're not getting a, a, a correct picture of who you are in Christ. When you look at the bread that's in your belly, you're seeing the fullness and completion of everything Jesus did for you. There's not something out here that's called, you know, this is not like the show fountain, 
the, the, the fountain to face. This is the bread in your belly to face. God wants you to see what you're pregnant with. And when you see what you're pregnant with, you can be assured that you're going to give birth to the bread you're pregnant with. You see? Show bread. And furthermore, if you actually were to look at this in relation to the tabernacle, in the tabernacle, it actually tells us in Exodus 26, 35, look at these two verses. I am wrapping up very soon here. But look at these two verses. You will not regret paying attention to this. Exodus 26, 35. This is not the temple, again, but the tabernacle. But like I said, they're kind of parallel in their symbolisms in, in, in probably most ways. When, when God was first instructing them on how to make the table of showbread, there was only one table of showbread in the tabernacle and one lamp. But it was still sort of uh, set up that way. Now look at what it says about this. It says, and you shall set the table, referring to the table of showbread, in verse 35, uh, without the veil. That means outside the veil. It's talking about sort of in this room. And it says, uh, the candlestick over against the table. What does he say is over against the candlestick? The table of showbread, right? Because there was only one table, one candlestick in the tabernacle. What was over against the candlestick? The table, the table of showbread. Now look at Exodus 35, 37. So you've got a, a lamp over against this table whereon there is showbread, or bread to face, bread to be seen, okay? Exodus 25, 37, I'm going to start reading. And you shall make seven lamps thereof, seven lamps for the one candlestick. Um, it wasn't quite like a menorah. The menorah is something that is made up after, after this. Uh, this had seven. Menorah, I don't know if menorah has nine, something like that. This is different. Uh, but it says, and you shall make seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light. You're gonna, God wants them to light the lamps so that they may give light where? Over against it. Okay, the, light was, the lights represent what? What are the, what are the lights doing? They're giving light over against it. What was over against the, the candlestick? The showbread. It's giving light to what? To the showbread. This specifically tells us that the lamp was there to give light to the showbread. Because we just read the table was over against the candlestick, and this says that the candlestick is giving light over against it, which is the location of the table of showbread. So these lamps, clearly, from this scripture, represent they're there to give light to show the bread. That's why it's called showbread or bread to face because the candlesticks represent the truth on the inside of us to reveal this bread that's in our belly. Okay? I'm getting there. 1 Kings 18.41. 1 Kings 18.41. 1 Kings 18.41. So where does God want, what does he want you looking at? What does he want you seeing? He wants you seeing the bread. It's the bread he wants you to face that's in your belly. He doesn't want you looking out here at the manifestation. He wants you looking here. If you look at the manifestations in your life, you're just going to confuse yourself. You're not going to end up knowing who you are in Christ. You're not going to end up knowing what you have to expect in your life. You're just going to confuse yourself because you're going to be missing who you actually are. All the solutions that Jesus really provided you. God doesn't want us to be carnally minded, looking at all things that are manifest. That's why her eyes are not out here. It's the lamps that are enlightening her eyes to see the bread that's on the inside of her. God wants you facing the bread, right? But look at this interesting, um, there's symbolism here, and I'm not exactly sure all sort of the context of the symbolism, uh, but there's definitely something here though. Okay, so I, I want to show you this. Keep all that in mind what we just said. So 1 Kings 18.41, Elijah said to Ahab, there hadn't been any rain for three and a half years before this, okay? So Elijah said to Ahab, Get thee up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. 
So he's telling him there's a lot of rain coming. He's saying, I can hear the sound of an abundance of rain. It hasn't rained for three and a half years, but telling Ahab, um, go back, eat and drink, the rain is coming. Verse 42, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of, of Carmel, of Mount Carmel. Um, it sounds like a Candyland mountain or something, right? Like Mount Carmel. But anyway, so he does this. God had already told Elijah, right, that the rain was coming, right? Elijah already had uh, uh, an understanding that the rain was coming, but it wasn't there yet. In fact, we're going to read in a second, there wasn't even any clouds in the sky. So he says, it's going to rain before he even sees a cloud. God told him it's going to rain, right? But because there's no clouds in the sky and Elijah sees that, look what it says. So he went up to the uh, top of Carmel and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. Um, he's looking for clouds. He's looking for that rain coming. And then he, said, he, he told him, uh, go again seven times. So this happened seven different times. I don't see anything. He comes back to Elijah. He goes back. I don't see anything. And it came to pass in, uh, at the seventh time that he said, behold, there arise a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare your chariot, get you down, that the rain stop you not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And so Abraham, uh, Abraham, Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. So here's what I want to show you from this. And again, I'm just going to speed through this as best I can. Um, I believe here there's definitely something to this. What, what Elijah was doing here, right, he was checking for manifestation because God told him it was going to rain, and he kept telling his servant to go check. Kept checking the manifestation, kept checking the manifestation. God already told him it was going to rain, but he still continued to check to, 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 to verify this, right? Like it didn't look it. God told him something, and it didn't look like it on the outside. So he kept sort of looking for that manifestation. Seventh time, he finally sees the cloud, and it rained just like God told him. But in the process, he was very consumed with, where's the cloud? Where's the cloud? Where's the cloud? Where's the cloud? You said it was going to rain. Where's the cloud? And he keeps looking for that manifestation. Very interesting, though. Something that happens, though, amongst this whole checking for manifestation here, there's definitely something here in verse 42. Look at what Elijah does while his servant is going to check for the manifestation. God chose to, wrote the, to write this down, okay? He chose to write this, this detail. So that needs to mean something. Ahab went up to eat and drink. Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. He cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. If you kind of, we hearken back to something I told on several messages ago in this series. Between the knees, what is that? That's the place of birth, right? I verified that to you through scripture. That's literally a thing in scripture. When someone has a baby, they bear between their knees or upon their knees, right? That's why these are the knees of the temple and there's fruit on the, on the knees here, okay? Because the temple is bearing on her knees, okay? These are the knees of the temple. And, and I verified that with you from scripture. So when Elijah is checking for manifestation, he puts his face between his knees. And God wrote, God saw that he did that and he said, okay, I'm gonna write that detail down as because that's important to write that down. But why would it be important to know that Elijah's face was between his knees while he was checking for manifestation? Because the knees are the place of manifestation. That's, that's, that's why the, the, the fountain and the fruit and the lilies are on the knees of the temple, okay? So this essentially, I believe, okay? And I don't know, understand everything with this passage, but I guarantee you there's something here. I believe this is God pointing out the fact that this is essentially what Elijah was doing. He was told by God that something would manifest, 
But instead of facing the bread, instead of facing the bread on the inside of him, he put his face between his knees. And that is not what you see the temple doing. She, because when you check for manifestation, concern that maybe this isn't going to happen or something because it doesn't look like there's any clouds in the sky, Lord, you told me, okay, then this is good for me too because this is some things the Lord's been even speaking to me personally recently. Lord, there's no cloud in the sky, and you told me that there's going to be rain. So I'm checking, I'm checking, I'm checking. And God says, oh, you're putting your face between your knees. You're putting your face where the birth comes out, and I want your face toward the bread in your belly. You need to be facing the bread here, not face between your knees. And what you actually see is with the temple is the temple has her eyes on what the light is revealing to her. The temple has her eyes facing the bread that the candlesticks are revealing. She doesn't have her eyes between her knees. She doesn't have her face between her knees. It's it's bread to face, not fountain to face. And you can see that she's meditating on everything the candlesticks are feeding her. Everything the candlesticks, all the truth the candlesticks are inputting to enlighten her eyes. And this is, this is beyond good advice. That it's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, I hurt my arm and, oh, how's it doing? There's, I'm not saying that. I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, okay? We know the difference between, is that feeling good? And check for the cloud, check for the cloud, check for the cloud. Well, where is it, where is it? You know the difference between those two things. You know the difference between how is it, how is it doing and your face are between, is between your knees, okay? Did it, is it born yet? Is it born yet? Is it born yet? We can get so consumed with what's being born, even though that's God's business to birth it. All the while, our only obedience to the Lord is to look at what Jesus has done for us. Our, your obedience is not the manifestation. Your obedience is not to bear fruit for God. Your obedience is to look that's what faith is, right? Obedience of faith, Romans chapter one. Your obedience is to look and to face the bread and to revel in what he's done for you. You do that, that's actually what causes the manifestation. But your face between your legs isn't helping the manifestation. If anything, it would hinder it. Of course, sometimes we can do that. We can kind of do both, right? We can kind of like, we're paying attention to the gospel, but then we have this concern. Our face is constantly between our knees. Now, we can all get caught up in that. But I just want to tell you, God has put his truth on the inside of you to reveal the life that's in your belly. He's got bread on the inside of you for you to face and for you to look at. That's where he wants your mind, consumed with who you are in Christ, the confidence of knowing I have the solution, and all that I can expect to manifest based on what I'm looking at here, not that I'm looking at the manifestation. But like Elijah, you know, we can be facing the wrong thing. And her eyes, her face is not between the knees. She's got bread to face. That's where God wants your attention. Let's look quickly at 2 Corinthians 2.14. Two passages I want to read to you. 2 Corinthians 2.14 and then a, a, a bit in Exodus, and that's it. So, so we got all that, right? 2 Corinthians 2.14, this is the LSV, literal standard version. And it says, and to God is thanks, basically thanks be to God, who at all times is leading us in triumph in Christ, and the fragrance of his knowledge he is revealing through us in every place. We are a refreshing fragrance to God because of Christ in those that are being saved, those that are being lost. So essentially, what, go to the previous verse again. I just want to show you that the knowledge of the Lord is called a fragrance, okay? Um, I don't know everything that, that means as it correlates to God, but that's the way that God describes it. So we can, at least can tell that this is a good thing. God is very pleased with the, if you want to call it, the scent of people knowing him. Right now, what we're doing right now, this is a sweet fragrance to God. Think about this. What does it say about the heart of God to you that... He does everything for you, expects nothing from you. All he wants you to do is see what he did for you. And when you do, it's like a sweet fragrance to him, and he's very pleased with that. That says something about the character of God to me. Okay? But that's the way the knowledge of the Lord is described. God is very pleased, and it's sweet to him to see you 
understanding what he did for you, to see you being benefited by that. Okay? All right, Exodus 30. Uh, let's just look at verse 1. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a couple verses down. So Exodus um, 30, verse 1. It says, um, And you shall make an altar to burn incense upon. You see this right here? This is the altar of incense. That was very hard to make because it's teeny tiny. But that's the altar of incense. It's right in front of the doors. These are called the inner doors. These are basically the doors to the mind of the temple, which actually have significance, and we're going to teach on that in the future. But there's an altar right there. Now, if you actually even look at it sort of from this angle, like if you had sort of removed the veil here, that's the altar right there. All right? So you've got the, lamp, the lamps that are for the oracle, that shine before the oracle, showing the bread, that bread to face, enlightening the eyes. But you've got this altar of incense. He's something very interesting about the altar of incense. You might already know where I'm going, seeing as the knowledge of the Lord is a sweet fragrance to the Lord. Okay? Think about this for a second. We've already got this down pat, what the, what the lampstands are for and the bread and all of that, right? And their correlation to that, to the place of conversation, to the mind of the temple. He says, he, he, he commands them to make an altar of incense. Verse 6, bear in mind, we're reading about the tabernacle right now, when the altar was first made in the tabernacle. Um, but like I said, they're, they're parallel. Um, verse 6, you shall put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony. So, uh, obviously, I removed the veil here so that you could see how they correlate, so it wouldn't cover it up. There was, there's a veil here at the temple, but the temple also has this wall, this partition. The tabernacle did not have that wall, but it had a veil. And it says to put the, the, the ark, uh, excuse me, put the altar of incense in front of the veil. So that's, that's where it would be in the temple. Now look what it says. Uh, before the mercy seat um, that is over the testament where I will meet with you. Okay, verse 7. And Aaron, look at this. Look at what happens here. Aaron shall burn thereon, on the altar of incense, sweet incense every morning. That sweet means sweet smelling. Sweet smelling incense. Okay? Sweet smelling incense every morning. When does he burn the incense? When does he burn the incense? When he dresses the lamps. That means like when he's preparing or making the lamps right. And furthermore, he shall burn incense upon it. Verse 8. And when Aaron lights the lamps at evening, he shall burn incense upon it a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You see what he just did? I mean, like, this is like, it, it, it's, it's, it's awesome. I, and I'm done right now. God has bread for you to face, not to be concerned with the manifestation. He's going to manifest it. The rain will come. He said the rain will come, the rain will come. But it happens when you get consumed with the bread on the inside of you. That bread comes out. But just be so happy that you have the solution. And yes, it will manifest. That's such an important thing to, to know, that it will manifest. But even knowing that something will manifest is not the same thing as looking at the manifestations. They're not the same thing. Did it manifest? Did it manifest? Because then what you end up doing is you end up weighing whether a situation is hopeless. You end up weighing who you are in Christ. You end up weighing, you end up comparing yourself to other people when you're concerned with all the manifestation on the outside. You have bread to face, lamps, the truth in, inside of you, to show you that bread. And every time the lamps are lit, what are the lamps doing? Shining over against it, shining to, to reveal the bread. When the lamps are lit to reveal the bread that's in your belly, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. Literally, if you even look at the aerial view here, if you even look at the aerial view, the altar of incense is literally right, this is just extra, okay? The altar of incense that burns sweet-smelling aroma whenever the lamps are lit to reveal, to shine before your mind. The altar of incense 
is right in the trajectory of the light. Like, I just love that as well. The light shining before the oracle, and as the light shines there, it's right in the trajectory of it. Like, burning incense, this, this knowledge that my temple is learning about everything I did for her, her resting and knowing that it's all finished, it's all done, everything's better now. You knowing that is a sweet fragrance to God that he enjoys seeing his people knowing the truth. In fact, John said by the Holy Spirit, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in truth. And I'm telling you, that's right from the Spirit of God. God loves it when he sees people reveling and celebrating and rejoicing and becoming confident in what he did for you because he knows that that's what benefits you and that's how actually the manifestation happens anyway. But he just doesn't want your eyes out here. He wants you facing the bread. It's just awesome stuff, man. It's awesome stuff. Like I said, you cannot make this stuff up, man. I mean, everyone is entitled to their opinion, but that is not something that you could just disregard. That's awesome stuff. Um, I'll close with just showing you that, this picture. This is why, actually, if you actually look at, um, I made this wallpaper a long time ago um, because, um, well, clearly, because of the, the stuff with the temple and everything like that, because that's literally what you're seeing here. The altar of incense is right there in the trajectory of the light. It's just so awesome. If you actually, if you want that wallpaper, we have a, sort of best kept secret, we have an extras page, but the only place you can get it to on our website is if you scroll all the way down to our footer and click extras. You can actually find that wallpaper if you want to put that on your phone. Um, but anyhow, um, it's not the, the kind of thing that we like update all the time, so that's where you can find it. But it's, it's awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you so much, Father, for being the truth to enlighten our minds. We love you. We praise you. Father, we thank you so much for everyone's attention span as well, that everyone listens so well to your word. But thank you so much, Lord, that regardless of... Um, even everything we've learned here, you have more to show us, Lord. So thank you so much for, for what we're learning and for your truth. And Father, I pray that as we go, we meditate on these things um, to, to see you further, Lord, and have you show us more and more. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Reform Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this uncommon truth out to the world. If you'd like to support this good news, you can do so at reformchurch.com slash give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reformchurch.com.